Hello, welcome to the ARC Podcast. I'm Kevin Herrera. And I'm Ron Erickson II. And today we'll be talking about a few things, namely... The Fox and Disney merger. VR. And... The crumbling digital marketplace. Ooh, terrifying. Opening music. Placeholder. Opening music ends. Hello, I am the machine. Welcome to my podcast, The Ark. Two of my humans will be speaking about what the fox says as well as the crumbling digital video market. You are welcome. Go see Coco. Esti película fue muy bueno. Fin español. Begin English. That was a great intro. The best. They keep getting better and better. I'd say top five all time. (laughs) (laughs) I always say top five all time. I'm going to give you a streamy for that one. (laughs) I would gladly accept that streamy. What category was I in? Was I in a category with non-intros? It doesn't matter. Yeah, we just... It was a category of intros, outros, political speeches, and um, (laughs) restaurant menus. (laughs) One category. Ooh, love the streamy. Salty. Salty dog here. So, Kevin, my goodness, what a week in digital. There was no crumbling companies this week. Nope. Oh, that was that made it a very unique week. I think the moment of silence we had at the beginning of the podcast was purposeful, and it was for Vimeo, CISO, and full screen SVOD. Mm. R.I.P. We got enough. How many moments of silence do they need? I don't know. I guess they need three moments of silence? For all three of them, yeah. No, um, I think uh, there weren't, but there's some... It's new beginnings. It's uh, new beginnings, new endings, all that at once. Um, And I think they'll be back in some way. At least I think full screen is going to be back in a different type of way. I mean, there's some theories floating around as to why the SVOD closed and... You know, I don't actually know 100% because I'm not on the inside, but, you know, there's a theory that uh, because of the net neutrality um, issues and AT&T, their funding didn't necessarily go through, and therefore they had to shut things down for a while. Well, the antitrust, right? It's that part of it where it's being a court date was set coming up to see if AT&T and Time Warner would be able to merge as they would like. The antitrust. Yeah. Net neutrality is a part of it as well. I think that's where a lot of these services came out of was their workaround for net neutrality. These big companies were trying to figure out how could they get around the restrictions that were put in there is my theory. I don't know. Again, we're not on the inside. What we can speak to, though, and what I'm seeing out there that's really interesting is this Fox-Disney merger and potential Fox-Comcast merger. There's been conversations. Fox is having active conversations with both Disney and with Comcast is what the um, entertainment uh, news sources are, are reporting. Yeah, these guys are trying to get bigger, Comcast and Disney, um, so that they can be even more competitive. It seems like they're incredibly competitive at the moment, but I guess when you think of uh, a Disney and a Netflix, I wouldn't say that mm, they're even in the same wheelhouse necessarily. And I think Disney wants to be in that wheelhouse and a big player in that wheelhouse. Could you imagine if Comcast, Disney, and Fox merged? I think that's the ultimately vertically integrated studio model of today. 
you'd have Comcast, which provides internet. Am I wrong on that? Comcast provides internet. They're an internet provider. Yes. But they couldn't merge because they own NBC. It's NBC, isn't it Comcast Universal? Boy. Wait, I'm all over the place. Yeah, me too. My goodness. Uh, Now I have to look it up. Yeah. Well, I mean, with the Fox, while you're looking that up, the Fox-Disney merger is incredibly interesting because... Disney's going to be launching their own SVOD service coming up with all of the content that they own. If they bring on Fox, they're going to have a wide swath of TV content on top of what they already have from ABC and their other verticals that they own. It'd be really, really interesting to see that. And that's what all these companies are looking at, right, is leveraging their IP library to continue to serve their viewership. Yeah, I wonder how that's going to be because I know that uh, Disney just, you know, they had their deal with Netflix and on some of their con on some of their content. I wonder how how that's all going to work out hmm, when they become competitors. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's it's. I guess Netflix is too big for Disney to buy, right? Too big for Disney to buy. I think so. Because mm. when back when Pixar and Disney were working together and they weren't. Disney didn't own Pixar. There was something similar where they, Pixar was building Disney for Disney, and it just made sense to have Disney buy Pixar. Comcast is a global telecommunications conglomerate and the largest broadcasting and cable television in the company, or in the world, sorry, in the company. Okay. So it's NBC Universal Comcast? Is that what it is or no? No, the Xfinity is their uh, internet provider. Okay, so they do provide internet. Yeah. So Comcast owning Fox, they would have the pipeline and the content. Just like AT&T providing internet and mobile internet would own the pipe and the content. Absolutely. So talking about the year of consolidation, I did not think predicting that in 2016, that 2017 being the year of consolidation would be that consolidating. I'm just looking at the the marketplace where the Vimeos and the go nineties are living. That's where I thought that things were going to consolidate. But I mean, that's in, it's crazy. They're gigantic, gigantic companies that are coming together. I mean, that I think is a sign of what is happening. 100%. I mean, I think it's every company that we've talked to from the smallest to the largest, like uh, yeah. Google, for example, they're all vying for the space that Netflix occupies. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can't just jump in all of a sudden and say, like, hey, look at our stuff over here uh, when people are already dedicated to this platform that I would say 99% of people are extremely satisfied with. So mm, you got to go even bigger, I suppose. Yeah, because you're not disrupting anything because there's nothing to fix. Right. Netflix disrupted and made walking through aisles of VHS and DVD covers fully clothed into you could do that in your underwear and it's okay because you're sitting on your couch and you're just flipping through titles on your screen using your thumb. Yeah. And then you don't have to buy the licorice. You have the licorice in your cupboard. Can you, can you still order DVDs from Netflix? I think so. You can. Um, we're, getting a, we're getting a yes over here from, uh, from the uh, control room. Wow, that's that's incredible. I don't even have anything to put a DVD into, to be honest. We have a DVD player at our house. We have a Blu-ray player. 
Oh, it's so but re- we don't use it. It's so retro. Yeah, it's so <laughs> retro of you. Oh, do you got a? You have a record player too? No, we don't. We're not that hipster. We're not mm. that cool. Um, but coming up, I think in the what's going to happen in the space overall, like look, the macro look at the industry. What you have right now is you have channels one through thirteen. They're advertising supported. They're by the big studios and the big networks. Then on the service that you buy, you pay a carriage fee. Those carriage fees are paid to the ABC, NBC, CBS, right? On a service. And then there's the stacking rights for when a show is later on in its its timeline in its life. You can be having that content syndicated on multiple cable channels at the same time. What I think is going to go down, similar to what it is now, if the net neutrality thing goes through and if everybody, meaning Ajit Pai, reverses the rules that Tom Wheeler put in and it allows for fast lanes and everything, and if the antitrust federal side of things allows AT&T to get Time Warner and allows Fox and Comcast and everyone to get together, you're going to then have AT&T owning HBO. If AT&T owns HBO, how is anybody on Verizon going to be allowed to subscribe to HBO unless they're going to subscribe to AT&T as well? Like why would they, they wouldn't allow that? I think they're going to allow that, and I think it's just going to be a carriage fee. Similar to how you have network TV now that is giving being paid carriage fees, Verizon's going to, Verizon uh, subscribers are going to be allowed to get HBO but they're going to have to pay a premium on it to be able to get access to that content is my best bet on that. And then the network TV stuff, what's going to change to that is you're going to, if Google does it right, they're already getting, I was, I heard a number, I don't know if it's substantiated 85% of digital ad spending is on, is controlled by Google and Facebook. The remaining 15% is what we have access to. We meaning like the people that aren't Google and Facebook. Right. And so they're the new network TV. They're the new place for advertisers to come and buy space as those eyeballs move. Well, but as more and more come in, I mean, you can't just, can you just have your ads solely on Facebook and solely on, solely on uh, YouTube or Google? I feel like as more and more people and more and more dollars come in, it's going to become an even more saturated market if the net neutrality stuff goes away, and this might be why it's such a big deal for all these companies, is because you're, you're, Google's everywhere with Gmail and everything. Facebook is everywhere. You could sign into all sorts of apps using your Facebook. So they're everywhere, but they don't supply the actual pipeline to get there. So they're getting all of this ad buys from all of these big companies, and they're delivering these ads on pipe that they don't control or own or pay for. They pay very minimal for it, right? They pay for access for their company. So what these big companies are trying to do is say, wait a minute, no, 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 no. If you, Facebook, are selling an ad and we're serving that ad for you across our network, we should be being paid for that. And that's where this fast lane stuff comes in where it's a potentially billions of dollars worth of business. Oh, wait, that's a lot of dollars makes sense why they're, they're constantly fighting it, but I don't know, does that make for a better internet or a worse internet? Because what Ajit Pai is saying is he's saying that 
there needs to be competition. There needs to be this free market. We can't come in and regulate that because preventing those companies from coming in and getting their share of that money is going to prevent them from wanting to make their pipes any better. It's like, well, we'll just let them rot. Who cares? We're not going to make the internet any better for people. Why should we do that if we're not seeing any upside in it? Right. Is what he's saying. That's exactly what he's saying. And I mean, do you agree? It's definitely a possibility. What is? Um, that eventually it's just going to be like, uh, you know, uh, there's there's no need to invest. There's no no need to invest in the pipeline if there's no way to profit off of it. It's like we're just donating our money to a service. I mean, I think it would be really nice, very um, communistic, but it's certainly something that. I don't see a I don't see a company doing that if there's no dollar signs attached to it. And so what I mean, would it end up having to be something that's subsidized by the government? Extra taxes going into um our internet? Mm. I don't necessarily want that and I don't think anyone else would want that. But where's the where's the line though? Because if they were just trying to get at Facebook and Google and at these bigger companies and get in there and get money for what their benefit from what's trafficking over their pipes that they pay for, how do you protect the small guy that's just starting out as a company and allow those companies to flourish on the internet? Because I don't think that these big corporations are gonna treat people differently if they're charging Facebook and Google a bunch of extra money, they're going to charge anybody that comes in. So it benefits Google and Facebook because they could pay for it. They could afford it if it goes that route. But a new entrant isn't going to be able to afford it. And I think that's where most people that are on the opposite side of net neutrality are worried. Besides their own personal access to content. Hmm. It's how do you reward the people that are working hard and building a service, which is these internet providers, ISPs. And at the same time, how do you not squash out the little guy? Cause then you end up with this oligopoly that like I've tweeted at a G5 so many times in the past few weeks, very calm, not these like crazy hate things he's getting all the time. And he's probably not even seeing it, even though he gets maybe 10 to 15 replies on his stuff. <laughs> he's had to have seen at least one. Can you give me like a reason why in your light touch, version before that under Clinton that there's an oligopoly that exists in the ISP place. Could you please explain that? I don't still don't understand how that occurred if it's so good. Because I think oligopolies are ridiculous. They stop innovation from happening. But anyway. I mean, I guess you could make the argument that, you know, it's the same for in real life businesses as well. I mean, they run into the same problems. They don't have billions of dollars to start. Um, so it turns into something where they're either seeking out investment or they just have something that's so great and so valuable that they can't help but succeed in some way. So then it's maybe when I have zero faith that Ajit Pai is not going to repeal net neutrality. I think it's happening. I th the rules. Title II declassification is happening is in my, is my understanding, no matter how hard we push, because there's so many negative against net neutrality being repealed, comments that were ignored, fake ones that were pro his movement. I, I just, I don't, he's going on a, uh, like a marketing campaign, like going on all these shows and talking about it. I just don't see him listening to the people. If that happens, what needs to happen are regulations 
or some kind of rules incentivizing these companies to help that small guy as they're growing. That's how you could subsidize it, maybe helping the ISPs help the, the little guy to, to make sure that competition continues. Well, not could, allowing them, sorry to jump into the last point, not allowing them to stop small municipal, municipalities from building their own internet service. Um, do you see, I, I just wonder, do you see um, them charging something this, like you're charging the same to a Facebook that you would to somebody that's just saying, I want to build a new version of Facebook? Yes. That they're going to be having to pay the same type of money. Yes. Hmm. Interesting. That's messed up, if it's true. Why would they discriminate? That's all I'm saying, is as a service, why would, why would you charge that person more than you charge that person? It's a service. It should be equal, and there shouldn't be any kind of difference there. I don't think you're going to have to pay, pay as much. If you're a new Facebook and you only have... 0.000001% of the audience that actual Facebook has, you're not spending the same amount of money. Yeah. But you might not be able to get as fast of internet speed or be able to afford the level that you need to reach the people fast enough. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I'm just being devil's advocate. I think that's just the problem that startups have in general, just and, and always have. You can even take YouTube, for example. They blew up too fast like they couldn't afford the servers to mm -hmm. continue their their business and Google essentially saved their life by buying them otherwise mm. it just it, it's something that wouldn't even be Would've sustainable crashed. and uh, I think even now to this day it's not something that's necessarily a profitable business so I just think small businesses are or you know small internet properties are going to be just running into the same problem as as any startup company. I mean, I guess it's there's not as much to worry about now. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could literally just go on. If you have the programming, you can just go on and put something up. Um, I think now you're just gonna have to you're just gonna have to pay for it as you as you blow as your business blows up. Yeah. I think it just being devil's advocate. I think it does create a. It can could create a much more competitive marketplace in that way. I mean, there's the there's the places that are so huge right now, like Facebook, like Google, but no one's going to be able to compete with them anyway. Mm. That's that that are just starting out. It's like they've already they're there, and those are companies that are going to be there to stay for a long time. Mm. They're the like they're the Pepsi's. Of our times, they're the Coca-Cola, they're the Nikes. You know, mm. it's not like uh, you can all of a sudden make a shoe and then expect that you're going to become a massive mega corporation like Nike. It's a timing thing too, right? Right. Because they were there at the right time and moved the Tiger shoes or whatever from I think it was Japan or something over to the states and it hadn't been there before, providing a value that wasn't there before. See that? See how it plays out. It could be a doomsday. The doomsday scenario everyone's worried about is the company's not doing right by the consumer, which they haven't in the past. Right. <laughs> that I feel like that's going to be almost a given because they don't now, and they will probably continue to not. And then if you're allowed to vertically integrate, where you provide the pipe, you also provide the content and the access to the content and all that, 
that's the big like the big concern. So if this net neutrality thing goes like we think it, I think it's going to go, I don't know how you feel, but if it goes how I think it's going to go, and then the antitrust thing doesn't break up these vertically integrated <laughs> conglomerates, that's going to be pretty dangerous and pretty. That's going to be the bummer. That's going to be the crumbling of the digital video marketplace. Like this article that uh, I was sent. I don't know who sent it to me from digiday.com. Oh, right. It was very um, end of days. Yeah, because CISO is gone. Full screen SVOD is gone. Like it's all it's all crumbling down. It used to be like a robust marketplace um, from the inside. It still is a very robust marketplace. The consolidation's happening. Budgets are rising. You've got shows on Go90 being picked up for a second season and moving from short form to long form, full on half hour. Uh, a show called Now We're Talking by Tug Coker. Um, I think it's a pretty robust marketplace. It's just not as many people are there right now doing it brand new. But what do you think about this? statement in the article where it says, um, oh, hey, it's it, it, there's an exciting opportunity here for people to create breakthrough shows, but the truth is that most digital media companies do not have the necessary background and skill sets required to package and produce TV shows. Disagree? <laughs> I'm going to say strongly disagree. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> I think it's a I mean that's to me that's a very it's a very egotistical statement and and it's also something that you know I've been hearing for years and years and years from the traditional industry. I'm not saying that there's not a skill set to creating content. There is. But uh you know for the longest time traditional was saying, "Oh yeah, we got to figure out how to get these uh, views that all these digital stars are getting, you know, like what they need is for us to come in and fix things up a little bit with our traditional sensibilities. And were they able to create any hits? No. I mean, it was years and years of just completely polished turds. When what's a hit? What's your definition of hit in that scenario? Right. Because I think also you've got, we're talking to somebody about this just today. Can you watch all the TV that's available? I cannot. Can you watch every movie that's available? Mm, no. That's high quality. Because there's always been a lot of people making movies. That's why festivals even existed. Not all of them are a reason you should sit down and spend an hour and a half of your life consuming. Right. But there's a lot of content nowadays that I think is worthy of that. But if it's, is it necessarily right for you? And do you have the time? No, I don't think we all have the time for it. There's so it's that whole peak TV concept, right? Peak television. We've been at peak digital for forever. It's just constantly coming out, but it's it's not all top quality, well done content. And I think what you're going to be running into coming up in this new year is these creators. These and creator can mean so many different things. But you're looking at the music video directors of the '90s today, people that know how to work with the software that's available to them, the equipment that's available to them, and they all are working and to emulate what they saw growing up and what they like and what they love, which is high-quality, top, top-notch storytelling. Yeah, it's actually pretty incredible. Um, I was actually talking to an animation company uh, last week, mm -hmm. <clears throat> and this, this just stacks onto your point where, uh, you know, 
people don't have the necessary background and skill set to to do this type of stuff. But uh, these people were created uh, an entire 3D animated film in one year with a team of two. And it looked fantastic. The story was amazing. And the reason they were able to do it is because they weren't just, you know, the guys that are like, I'm focused on making the lips move. And I'm focused on building the hands. There are people that knew uh, all the different programs that you use in uh, 3D animation. They they could they could they knew how to use them all. So they didn't need an extra team, an extra specialist over here. They didn't need to take this uh, just to get someone to uh, oh use the Avid program because they just knew it all. And I think that there's so many more people now in live action as well that have that skill set and they're good they can work fast they can work at a high quality and uh they're incredibly creative and they can make stories it's not rocket science and never have been it never has been you know it's uh creating something that's good comes from a high level of creativity yes there's skill involved of course but it's not like someone who works in the traditional industry is like all of a sudden more creative than someone who's doing something on the digital side just because they work for uh, you know a, com- a company like MGM or Disney for example they're not necessarily they're not more or less creative than someone who makes something on uh, YouTube I mean I would say that the major difference is just dollars in a lot of cases yeah and, and the experience too right like it's not to discount the fact that People in the entertainment industry have been doing things for decades, some of them, and have massive amounts of experience. But when it comes to making content, when you go from making something with a lot of money involved and telling a story at the height of, of content and commerce, like where it matches and meets, coming back down and working at the budget levels of safety that digital is working at currently is difficult, if not impossible, for them. But taking the lessons that they've learned throughout their careers and working with a younger gun or a newer voice, um, that's the way I think to go. It's that it's the, the middle point of those things. Interesting. Well, what do you say to this? The, this article says um, that that is kind of irrelevant. It's like when you, they say, the article says when you talk to Netflix, they don't care if you can produce something cheaper than anyone else because they're competing with Game of Thrones and they're okay with spending $15 million. Great. Then go spend $15 million and buy the top people and hopefully get them together and hopefully the magic happens or, or get the right. I mean, that's why they work with the top companies that are producing award-winning content. But yeah, even with $15 million, it's still not a guarantee. It's never a guarantee because it's no. not, this is not something where you just get one widget, put it with another widget and you got the new widget. It's like you have, there's so much more to art than that. And that's, I think, a thing people are missing as well. It's like you can't just throw money at the problem. Right. Yeah, Game you, of Thrones didn't start out like that. Game of Thrones started out, look at those janky green screens in the first season. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. It's so janky. It really is. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. But it was a huge risk. The budget was still really high, and also technology wasn't as great. You go six years later, and you got the White Walkers and the – sorry, I don't want to ruin anything. Sorry. Spoiler alert. <laughs> there's white well, there's white walkers. Spoiler. They, they do exist. 
That guy was killed in vain in the first episode. Well, no, he did desert, right? Kevin, you're, you're digging yourself up a very deep Game hole. of Thrones hole. Yeah. I, I don't want to have to take the black. I can't wait for the next season. Is that, is that how they say it? Wear the black, take the black? Uh, take yeah. on the black. Take take off the, the black. I don't Whatever. I'm not. Once you go black, you never go back. Jon Snow. Hashtag Jon Snow. Something like uh, that. <laughs> that's crazy. Um, and yeah, one last thing I think we should check in on that's really exciting. Into your point earlier about storytelling. And storytelling is this VR thing that everyone was so excited about this year. This isn't the year for VR. I think next year is going to be a big year for VR. Even bigger for AR because it's so much, it's already in people's pockets with their phones. But you just starting December 10th through the 24th, PlayStation is selling their headset, the camera, and Gran Turismo, the game, for $199. I'm getting it. That entry point, I just, just turned in my PlayStation. Kevin, you turned in, you sold your PlayStation, and you gave all your games to me. I did. I just don't have any time anymore. <laughs> but I bought the PlayStation, and my wife gives me so much trouble for this because we went to the store, and I literally debated for like an hour and a half, Xbox or PlayStation. I don't know what to get, like years ago. I'm like, I, I've ended on the PlayStation because I was I, VR was going to come out. It was called Morpheus at the time. And I was, this is amazing. It's going to be so cool. And now that it's out, I don't have my PlayStation to get it. But anyways, $199. That's not pennies, but it's cheap enough for entry-level buyers to get in and get VR. More and more people are going to get it. They've sold over $2 million sets already. So there's 2 million potential people and their friends or whoever could, that could access VR. I think you got... Ready Player One coming out. More and more people, if that movie's a smash hit, are going to understand the concept of VR. It's dystopian, mind you, but it's going to be fun movie to watch. And if these people that are making VR headsets and stuff time everything out right, there's going to be a much bigger audience for VR next year than there is this year. And there's companies like Oculus and the production companies working for them and directors we know doing VR that are doing amazing things. What do you think is going to happen to storytelling? And do you think that VR is going to be a thing next year? I don't think it's going to be a thing next year mm. necessarily. I mean, I just, I still don't see people's putting people putting in the hours on VR like they do, like they do other things. And my big argument is and has always been that VR is active entertainment. It's active entertainment. Um, and trust me, as as a longtime gamer, I love active entertainment and I, I love video games. They're amazing. But there's a reason why uh, like Twitch and game streaming is so huge. It's because people love passive entertainment. They can sit and watch someone playing a video game because they don't have to do anything. They can sit there and watch it and be entertained. And that's something that is not going to go away. Just because something's really cool, VR is amazing. It's it's fantastic, but just because uh, it's cool, it still creates a, an active entertainment source. No matter how how you cut it, you have to put on the mask, and then all of a sudden you're in a world. You have to look around. You have to, you know, interact with everything. It's, I mean, it's a game. It's a video game. But I don't think that VR has the ability necessarily to go further than that into how we view film and television, where you can just sort of sit back and let the world immerse 
immersify you? No. Get immersed in the world. I mean, it's amazing. Don't get me wrong. But I just don't see it... Uh, I just don't see it uh, having the same numbers as uh, as shows. But AR is is fantastic. I think that that's something where we're really going to see things change. Like when you have the ability to uh, just sit back and watch a world unfold in front of your eyes, you don't have to necessarily wear anything. Um, I think now you're talking. That's something that I want to get involved in. Do you think people don't understand what they're getting into when they get into VR? Storytelling has been storytelling since the dawn of time. Cavemen telling stories of the hunt all the <laughs> way to today. You look at C-3PO in Star Wars when he's telling the story to the Ewoks and making sounds and making them feel like they're there. Do you think if people start understanding that VR is a place for storytelling, for you to be, I'm going to take you where I tell you you're going to be, where I'm going to show you, you're going to be there. Right. Well, and I think that that part is fantastic. Is there a way to passively tell a story where you could feel like you're there without having to be there through VR? Maybe that's, and this might, we're digressing off the, I think the topic of like, we're getting into the weeds of the philosophy of VR storytelling, I think, versus mm. like, do you think it's going to have mass adoption next year? Well, I mean, I, I think there's going to be a lot more people trying it out for sure. But if it catches on, it's content-based, right? What they can consume on it. Absolutely. And, you know, I think it's the two are going to go hand in hand. Once there's something that you would consider a hit that's on VR, then you might, then you might have an explosion. But I think the storytelling is still somewhat primitive uh, on VR. You know, you're either someone who's like, oh, I, I can't tell you how many times I've seen the things where it's like, oh, you're paralyzed or you're tied up in a chair. Because it's basically just a way to get you to be like to passively engage in the story. Well, that and those are three sixty. Three sixty, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not VR. So VR, you're able to move on the Z plane fully. Three sixty video, you can only look around. So you're moving. You're not moving through space. You're just able to change your point of view. Okay, right, right, right. That I think is a whole other problem that the entire industry of VR has because people think that 360 is VR. I'm not <laughs> saying you don't know the difference, but I'm just saying right. in general, I feel like if you ask somebody what's VR, they'd be like, oh yeah, that's VR. But someone that's a VR person is like, no, actually, right, right, that's 360. <laughs> uh, VR is when you can move across the Z plane. And like, like <laughs> yeah, and I guess, yeah, you're 100, you're 100% right there. And yeah, you're, you're um, with 360 video, I get, you're not controlling the character. You're just looking around. That's all you get, which I think it makes it even. I think it makes it even harder as far as storytelling goes. Maybe know? it's maybe it's these handsets that are AR looks at the environment around you and places things in it. Maybe it's a headset that instead of you, the problem with 360 is like you need to have the when you set up a, a Rift or whatever an Oculus, you have to have the different cameras like sensing you, so they know where you're at and. All right. Maybe it's having the headset have right in front of it a camera that's sensing the world around you so you can you don't have to have the crazy setup. Right. But that's we'll see if they make that technology over the next year in time for, you know, cuz CES is coming up, who knows going to come out of that. Oh yeah, I'm I'm curious to see. I mean, once you once you can experience VR comfortably like out in public or on a bus or um 
you know, at school or something like that, that's when you've got something. But when you're kind of when you're kind of trapped, I think it's more of just kind of a, a drug, a little escape, a game. But I, I just don't see the world where you're like, oh, I'm binging VR right now. It's for the enthusiasts right now. It's exactly. not for mass consumption. Interesting. But well, ju- I mean, when you said 199, I was like, I'm 100. I'm buying it. I'm gonna Ooh. buy it. Yeah, and I would if I didn't turn my. PlayStation in. <laughs> I'll have to come over and play it. Yeah, I'll put, you'll you'll be able to see my uh, VR mask uh, collecting dust next to my uh, Oculus Samsung mask. And <laughs> I just want to play No Man's Sky in VR. Oh yeah! Oh my gosh! Fully that, immersed. <laughs> Kevin is a No Man's Sky fan, and he gave the game to me, and I I really loved it, and it's the most chill game ever so chill you just go through the music so you're just like flying through space meeting aliens you're just like oh man i feel so relaxed right now (laughs) (laughs) people were so bent when it first came out oh man they just don't get it well they got million it's a whole other thing we can go on forever (laughs) about that thanks for listening check us out at the machine la got ron erickson here on the mic yo Got Kevin Herrera here on the mic. Uh, Subscribe to our newsletter through our website as well. Uh, It's the ARC newsletter where we take the most important news from entertainment regarding the digital landscape and marketplace and bring it your way in a condensed form so that you can be informed uh, when you're out there talking and dealing in the space. And uh, thank you so much. Adios. Goodbye. Love the machine.